the You Decipher podcast, where we explore the ins and outs of university life and unpack what it means to be a disciple on campus. Happy Easter, Sister Mary Helen. Happy Easter to you, Father Nicholas. Good to see you. And you. And we're being joined today by Father Cam Smith from the Missionaries of God's Love. Happy Easter to you, Father Nick, Sister Mary Helen. Chaplain to Deakin University in Burwood. So good to see you. Great to be with you this Easter week. Overcome with Paschal joy. Overcome and a little tired. A little tired, a little too much chocolate. Pretty tired. Alleluia, alleluia. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The alleluia, alleluia, I think, at the end of the Easter Vigil is, I always get to that point. Because the Easter Vigil, um, and if you didn't hear last week's podcast, make sure you listen to Father Daryl and Sister Mary Helen and I talking about that. But the one bit that I don't think we talked to was about the the Easter dismissal. Mm. Because the vigil goes, it's really long, and then you get to the Eucharistic prayer, and it's sort of like, oh, Mass, Mass as I know it. Yes. And you just sort of settle into the rest oh. of Mass, and then you get to the end of the vigil, and you're like... I've got to do the Easter dismissal. <laughs> and after three days of the Triduum, it's just like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give it our best, Gary. But it was your first Easter vigil. It was the first time I'd celebrated the Easter vigil, yeah, myself. So some dunkings in the baptismal pool and um, Ooh, nice. some yeah, other sacraments. and yeah. New Catholics, was, did you have a few? Yeah, there was... It was very complicated because we had four four adults baptized, one child baptized, three adults brought into the church, and then out of all of them, there was six confirmations, I think. So there was yeah, multiple various different categories of yes. people, and I may have forgotten one or two of them at different points of liturgy. And <laughs> at one point, I was calling them up for the confirmations, and um, one of them was sitting in the third row and actually put his hand up and yeah, was like, "Can, can I come forward yeah. too?" <laughs> so it was all, he was it, confirmed in the end. Good job. It's it's not an easy ceremony, especially if you are doing lots of baptisms. But we just, I think we discussed this last time. It's beautiful that at the high point of our entire uh, Christian celebration, we welcome new people into the life of the church. Yeah, so. yeah, it was wonderfully joyful night Saturday night. The Easter ceremonies don't finish for me until about six pm on Easter Monday night because. I, a bit of an Easter tradition for me and my family is to go to the football on Easter Monday and watch the Hawks. Oh, yes. And we normally lose on Easter Monday. It's normally pretty miserable and it's wet and it was this year, but we had a really great victory. So hey. well, all, thing is, all things are right with the world. Hawthorne Beach along at the, at the Easter Monday. Let's Easter see Monday. what happens on Anzac Day with Collingwood. And the sisters all went up to Sydney this we year. We did. We had a great time. Yes. We spent many hours in St. Mary's Cathedral. Yep. It was lovely. The choir was amazing. So shout out to our Sydney listeners. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, and obviously Easter continues. So we're in the octave and then the Easter season. So if you haven't had your fix of chocolate just yet, sister, you had an apple before. I did, but I do have a resolution ba- in Easter out. to make sure that Easter, I remember that Easter is longer than Lent. And you have to have an Easter egg every day of Easter. Because Easter uh. is not just one day. Actually, we're still not. Well, yeah. Yeah. Mm. We're still... <laughs> I, I think <laughs> <laughs> I think people realise we don't record live. So, yes. <laughs> yes, we are still as in the octave. <laughs> as we're recording, we're still in the octave. When you hear this, we'll be out of the octave. Yeah, but, but only just... Barely, barely. Um, this comes out on Anzac Day. So, obviously, another... Much more of a, a secular... Um, 
celebration, but there's, there's some great Christian overtones to Anzac Day. That's and, true. Um, even even the Anzac Day dawn service, you've got this darkness and light and sort of very similar things to our our our, our Christian sort of celebration of Easter. Mm-hmm. We're celebrating that secular heroism. People yeah. who have really given laid down their lives for others. It's actually uh, what we're called to do, but you know, kick yeah. it up a notch. And I think there's something that reminds us that that people are looking for something. Like the amount of people, and obviously for the last couple of years we haven't been able to do it, but the amount of amount of people who flock to things like the dawn service that has a ritual and a, a, a sort of mm. it speaks to something they deeper re- within they resonate them. Resonate with it, yeah. yeah. Um, and they might not be able to identify it, but it's 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 in the heart of each one of us. Mm-hmm. But obviously, uh, back on campus that week as well. But it's a great week. Uh, for saints in the life of the church. Chock full of all of our friends. So many saints. <laughs> so that's the topic of our conversation today is the, the, the role that the saints play and how important it is for us as, as Christian people, as Catholic people, to, to turn to the saints uh, in our own life and our own time to uh, seek their intercession. You're listening to the You Disciple podcast, where we put the you in disciple father cam we are asking all of our guests or most of them at least uh where do you think we put the you and disciple <laughs> stunned silence what? <laughs> he, you, you obviously weren't listening to the ad break <laughs> so we put the you in disciple oh, we put the you in disciple um in the middle? <laughs> it's, a, it's a false question. You put it, you put it sideways <laughs> on the next on the, line next to, to the D. the D. That's it. Yeah, we haven't had yeah. that answer yet. So, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, so there's great saints uh, we're celebrating this uh, this week. St. Catherine of Siena, uh, St. Mark, St. Louis de Montfort. St. Pius V. St. Pius V. So Chanel. If, if, East, if, if Easter tide wasn't enough to celebrate, there's a, there's a saint every day of the week. The mysteries keep on coming. Who's your favourite saint, Father Cam? Blessed Charles de Foucault. Mm. And he's only a blessed at the moment, but I believe in only a few weeks' time he's going to be canonised. There you so, go. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sister Mary Helen? Oh, I'm not good at favourites. You, <laughs> like, you don't like one-line questions? And no, don't limit me. No boxes. Okay. Um, <laughs> one of your favourites. One of my faves. Clearly Dominic, but um, he, his successor was a blessed um, <laughs> Jordan of Saxony. Okay. Great guy. Really fun. Like yeah. him. My, I've got a few. I think uh, you can't go past St. John Paul II. Yeah. I think mm. especially for those of us who are old enough to have lived through his papacy or part Did of his papacy. Did you meet him? Uh, with two million other people yeah, yeah, at yeah, World yeah, Youth yeah, Day. Yeah. That's so good. That's good. got you close enough. Um, but I also have a, a bit of a private devotion to St. Philip Neri. Beautiful. Um, Italian saint, um, priest, priest. Uh, Worked with young people, um, but also a bit of a practical joker, and yes. a bit of a wicked yeah. sense of humour. So it's a great movie about him. Yeah. It's a Saint Philip Neri movie. Okay, really well done. I have to get it to you. There you go. Mm-hmm. But one of the things, and this is something that we learned from Saint John Paul II, was really that um, saints aren't just sort of sitting up there on altars. There's really a saint for every Absolutely. every season, a saint for every temperament, a saint for every time, and that he really was that uh, great canoniser, 
a great, great beatifier um, yeah. as a real way of helping young people in particular aspire to sanctity. And I think that's one of the most important things about the lives of the saints is that it's achievable if if we try. Yeah, yeah. And that's the, the point of why the church gives us the saints to, to pray for us for one, but also to inspire us to be holy. Yeah. You know, this is what holiness looks like um, in the ordinary and varied situations of human life. And I think um, sometimes people don't quite um, get that whole beatification, canonization process. Um, but it, fundamentally, all we're saying is that this person is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And that actually helps us understand the miracle thing a little bit better. We're like saying, okay, we're praying to this person, and if they're in heaven, they can ask the Lord. It's the Lord who performs the miracle. It's not the saint who performs the miracle. But the, the saint has interceded before the Lord because they're in heaven. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea of being canonized is really the goal of each one of us, that we're all striving to get to heaven. We're all yeah. striving to be saints. Yeah, and it's, it's good to remember as well that although there's so many saints who are canonized and who the church puts up as um, examples before us, but there are you know, so many more who are in heaven who perhaps they just lived quiet lives of holiness that um, only impacted those around them. But they are no less holy than those who are put up as those saints before us. Um, why, why do we get the ones that get put up before us then? Any ideas? Question without notice. Question without notice. I mean, I've reflected on that a little bit. I haven't read up on it, but just this idea that there's some people that they are, they have this special role to be intercessors for the church broadly and so you know the blesseds are interceding for a particular area right and then to to knock it up to canonization it's it's wow it's becoming evident that the lord wants this person to be universally recognized as a great example maybe in this time or place or whatever but also that they have a real um role of intercession for the church um um, and so then they have this place Uh, yeah i think that they then become for us sort of, and this is the thing that I love about the saints is that we can you can generally find someone that you can be attracted to. Sure, like that in the whole sort of communion of saints. There's, yeah, there's such diversity. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's, it's they're not all the same, and so maybe the Lord raises up sort of different people so that we can all find someone to sort of seek as a as a personal intercessor yeah, yeah. as a patron yeah. we need a patron as a shipbuilder and a patron of a <laughs> candlestick makers and can you know everyone yeah yeah because <laughs> yeah we can have this image of heaven as just being everyone's kind of become uniform and like beautiful angels wearing white robes and singing all in unison and eating Philadelphia cream cheese, eating Philadelphia cream cheese, all just like perfect. And there's a, there's a blandness about that. But when you look at the lives of the saints, there's such amazing diversity. They had, you know, big personalities and they did different things and they went about it in different ways in their spiritualities, their um, cultures. It's, which makes sense because that's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Like yeah. many gifts for the one spirit. Like we're not, in this life, we're not all the same. And we're called to achieve holiness in our, in our daily life and in, in the setting that we find ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so it, it makes sense that when we look to the saints, that there is saints who are shipbuilders and there is saints who are business people and there is saints who are priests and religious and married people and that, yeah, we're, if if we can achieve it in our life, then it should be reflected in in, in the saints that we worship. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I love. There's a friend of mine who he's teaching on the Saints. He um he likes to line up four of the Teresas. Um, Which can always be a bit confusing. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do these all have in common? Oh, well, they're all named Therese. Uh-huh. So Therese of Avila, Therese of Lisieux, Therese Benedict of the Cross, or Edith Stein, um, and Mother Teresa. With them all, big impacts in different ways. But St. Therese of Lisieux was just this little girl who was kind of actually very sensitive and fragile in her personality. Therese of Avila was this big, powerful personality, a reformer, had a huge impact. Um, Mother Teresa... Um, while having a huge impact and kind of a, a personality that that kind of captured the world, she was actually a profoundly gentle and compassionate person. Um, and Edith Stein, on her own journey of from being raised a Jew and through atheism and being a, a big level philosopher in the academic world, um, yeah, and then and then giving her giving her life as a martyr in the end. Yeah, profound differences even amongst them. Um, but all examples in different ways as to as to what our holiness might look like and what God calls us to. Sister, I know you love favourites. <laughs> Who's your favourite, Teresa or Therese? Oh, I choose Avila. Avila? T of A. She's our friend. Yeah. yeah. We often have this sort of conversation, uh, who would you have around the table? If you, you know, what's your table going to be like in heaven? Who do you want on it? And T of A, she's always there. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Therese of Lisieux. Um, yeah. I... Yeah. I was lucky enough um, when I was a young man, when I was discerning my vocation, was the last time. Well, it's not because her rallies came to Australia just before lockdown. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I was in the cathedral with them. And they were about to sort of start this national tour. And then, but the time before that was in the year, I'm scratching now, 2003, um, right in the point when I was discerning my vocation. And they came to my home parish. And so I was asked to help carry the reliquy. um, And then I... I was asked to um, be one of the few people who stayed in the church overnight with the relics um, so that there was someone venerating throughout the evening. Um, and so I, I, there was an intentions box next to the reliquy and I wrote my simple intention, make me as clear about my vocation as you were about yours. Wow. That's because a good intention. Because one of the things about St. Therese... Uh, Trees, no, I'm trees, trees. Podcast about how to pronounce the yeah, yeah. <laughs> You can do it however you like. <laughs> but she she knew from a very young age what it was that God was calling her to, and that it didn't quite look like what she she thought it was going to look like. But she she was so confident that she went to the Holy Father and said, "I I want to become a sister." Mm-hmm. So I entrusted my vocation to her, um, and she sorted it out. So I normally say to people, um, "If you want to blame." Blame my blame me on anyone. You can blame my grandmother and on on Saint Therese of Lisieux. So, and if you haven't if you haven't been, here's a shout out to the Carmelite Sisters in Q uh, to their monastery, which is the national shrine to Saint Therese of Lisieux. I, so I was actually in Sydney in 2020 when um, the relics came, and then the the tour was cut short because of the pandemic. But um, very early in the year, I went out to the Carmelite place in Varaville and and visited them and. It wasn't only Teresa's relics, but also parents. her parents, yeah. yes. Louis and Zelia, who were recently canonized before that. And I, I love the fact that that's the first time we've had a married couple canonized yeah. together. Together again, yes. looking at how the church gives us examples in every walk of life, every human experience. That um, you know, we can have this idea that all the saints are all religious and priests and all of that, but. No, as a as married people, as mothers and fathers, and as spouses, you're also called to be holy. And here's an example of 
a, a couple who raised their children and and formed their family in a holy way. Yeah, I was uh, up in Sydney just recently and um, I was praying, I don't know that they're saints yet or not, I don't know, but I was spent a lot of time in the Ukrainian section praying for the souls of the departed and, and clearly the ones who have just been um, attacked. And uh, looking at the tombstones, it was really interesting because they had lots of pictures, like the couples were buried side by side and they had a picture out there and just seeing these you can see the character in these Ukrainian couples and just thinking, look at that. Like, that's a true vocation, you know. And the photos are often taken just before they're gone. And, and you can just see, wow, they have brought each other to heaven. Um, and I thought, yeah, awesome. Marriage really is a vocation. And I think, so yeah, one of those common misconceptions is you've got to be a priest or religious to be a saint. One of the other misconceptions is that um, saints were saints from the beginning. And obviously, Teresa of Lisieux is, is an example of this, that she, she was pretty holy her entire life. But it's, it's not the case for every saint. Yeah, absolutely not. And there's, there's some, some big name examples like um, St. Paul, going back to the Bible, is an obvious one. He was hunting down the Christians, trying <laughs> to eradicate them. Yeah. Um, St. Augustine is another huge one. Um, led a sorts of immorality in his earlier life as well as chasing after different philosophies mm-hmm. and that before he um, discovered the truth of Christianity. Um, but to, to come back to my favourite, Charles de Foucault, uh, he also he um, inherited quite a bit of money, was of a sort of a noble family um, and he, he kind of had no real purpose in life other than to enjoy parties with his friends and that sort of thing. And he, he tried to join the army, but then, you know, was was living a very, um, what's the word? Dissolute. Dissolute. <laughs> dissolute living. Yeah, that's a, a good way to put it. And yeah, before he, he eventually came about his conversion. One of the... Um the greatest things I was able to do early in my priesthood was um, led a group of pilgrims to World Youth Day. And before we went to World Youth Day, we went to Greece in the footsteps of St. Paul. Um, and I remember um, just being really struck one day and I was talking to some of the young people about the fact that St. Paul, like, he persecuted the early Christians. Like, and we're seeing this in, in the next few weeks in, in the readings at Mass. Like, he was the one who ordered the stoning to death of St. Stephen, the first martyr. And we can often think that we're not good enough and we're not holy enough. And I, I, I remember giving a homily this day in this church, I think. I can't remember where we were, but somewhere in Greece. And I just said to them, like, unless you have gone out and ordered the persecution and martyrdom of a Christian, there's nothing that you have done in your life that the grace of God can't touch. Like Because even for St. Paul, that's how far back the Lord's grace was able to bring him. Um, and so there's nothing that we can do in our life un- unless. But even even if you are doing that, and I, I, don't, I would hope that none of our podcast listeners are also out there sort of stoning to death Christians at the same time, but there's nothing we can do that God's grace can't overcome. And that's the thing that makes us saints. Yeah, I, I just had a little caveat on this whole idea of it's true that many people have a major conversion and then they, uh, and then they become saints. But uh, it's a little bit like we've discussed earlier of um, vocation stories. You know, we get asked vocation stories and it just leads up to the moment where you enter. But that's not the whole story. Or even Augustine, okay, so he converted. It was a massive. But if he just stopped there... 
he would not be St. Augustine. So there's a greater miracle that happens when good people become holy and continue to grow. Um, that's a greater ongoing miracle than that initial conversion even. Uh, I remember when I was asked or invited to do net way back in the day and I, I thought, well, I can't do net because I don't have a story. I don't have a, you know, I don't have some tragic, well, I was, you know, killing Christians and then <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen. So I thought, oh, no. And a, a good friend, priest friend of mine said, no, no, no. The story is that God is slowly unfolding this this story of his love for you in your life and and by great God's grace you're letting him. And uh, it's I think that's really important. Like what's the ongoing heroism of turning the ordinary things of our normal life into the road to sanctity? It's not that saints achieved holiness, it's that they never stopped fighting for holiness. That's it. Yeah. It's 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 something that they've it's it's become their life's work, and that they've they've committed to picking themselves up. And it's not that they never sinned; it's that they knew that they were sinners, and they they sought the mercy of God and the forgiveness but and the ability yeah. to start again. The very fact of their sinning, then you see this in Saint Paul, especially. It becomes part part of the story, his proclamation of the gospel. Yeah, it's like even even me, God's grace works even for me. Yes, um, and even even if we're not. Putting Christians to death, to the sinning, to the degree of Saint Paul, we can still feel that discouragement of just falling into little sins, and that the the lies of the evil one can get into our minds and say that no, you you can't continue on this journey. Um, you know, are oh, you fallen again? That's not that's not good enough. And um, even there's many of the saints who've who've struggled with that sort of doubt and that sort of scrupulosity. Um, saint Oscar Romero um, was one who struggled with scrupulosity for most of his life. That, that sense of these these sins, I'm never going to get over them or they're, they're, they're an, an impassable barrier to my holiness. But the God continues to give us the, that grace of forgiveness and his, his is the grace of sanctification. It's not our own efforts and our own perfection. One of the things I like about some of the more modern saints is that we actually have photographs of them. <laughs> um, and so I've got in, in my room a photo of Therese of Lisieux setting up for Mass. Nice. Like, because one of her sisters went, because I'm trying to remember how many, but I think three of her sisters joined the convent. And at one point when she came in, um, the parents gave to the convent a camera. So we've actually got this series of actual photos of St. Therese and some of the other sisters from inside the monastery, which is pretty unheard of at that time. Um, but it's just that reminder that the, they were ordinary. They yes. lived lives. And I think when we, we look to them, older saints, we see these sort of plaster statues or these paintings of them and we think, okay, you're a saint. Mm-hmm. Where when you actually look at a photograph, if you're in some of those real iconic ones of John Paul II, um, like shaving on a camping trip <laughs> and um, wearing sunglasses outside the Second Vatican Council, it's like, you're actually a real man. Like, yes. And if you were real, you had those doubts, you had those struggles. Yeah, but uh, you just kept Going, you yeah. just kept looking toward the Lord, and I think that Teresa Lucia has a great little um, image of what her role was. Uh, clearly, she discovered her vocation was love, but also she's she knew just like a little bird that looks at the sun, just keep looking toward God. But but that's something. That's not nothing. It's you. You're really clear that God is doing the work, but you keep looking toward Him. You keep just cooperating with what He's doing, um, and. And never accommodating uh, mediocrity. Mediocrity. 
Mm-hmm. Can I? Okay, I'm going to ask a question without notice. Um, <laughs> and I used to ask this to um, school students: greatest saint of the last hundred years um, in the world, like obviously in the world, but sort of <laughs> um, in the eyes of the world. Oh. Silence. Silence on a. If you're still listening, we are still here. I'll keep talking while they think. Mm, lots to lots to think about. Um, JP two is obviously a big contender. Yeah. For that, but I, I think and that that would normally be one of the one of the responses that would come from yeah, yeah, kids yeah. who are old enough to know him. I think Mother Teresa, really though, um, and like it's. It's so clear how she captured the attention of the world because yeah. I think of the the truth of the compassion that she shows. Like that resonated with people because they know that we all need to be loved and cared for, that even if a child is lying in the street abandoned or someone is lying there and they're just going to die and what difference will it make, that that's what we need, that compassion to be cared for. And, that. and she, she did that so generously with her life and led so many others to do that so generously. And that, that was why... Yeah, the world actually was drawn to look at her and that compassion. You know, even just from a secular perspective, people would recognise the importance of that impact. Um, and that's where I'd put my money. I'd I'd say in like not only for her holiness and the work she did within the church, but for that ability to capture the attention of the world um, and be a true apostle in that regard. I think that's it. But one of the most remarkable things that I find from her story is that for a greater part of her life, when she was doing her most powerful work, she was in a time of desolation. Yep. She's in a dark night. Absolutely. Yeah. And just that reminder that like that's like that even even trial, even even darkness, even doubt, mm. like doubt of faith at a, at the deepest level you can still persevere through that and no one knew and it wasn't until after she died that they read her diaries and they realized that this her spiritual director knew um but apart from that um no one knew when she was doing even like in the eyes of the world when she was doing the best work of her life she was going through this real spiritual turmoil yeah and again we can we can look at her and think you know wonderfully holy saint and that holiness must look like she was kind of felt herself to be in the hand of god all the time but no she was she's you know leading a the organization of the, the sisters and the whole work being done doing amazing work and kind of pushing that forward in the world but with all this interior doubt and that we were talking about how holiness is about striving forward and pushing forward for for what god's calling us to do but that can even still come about even when we doubt on the inside when we don't feel that god is there at all um and so if we're not aware that the saints actually went through that then we can think oh i don't feel god therefore i'm failing at this or that you know god's not really calling me to do this sort of thing but no he calls us to to be even more fruitful in times of doubt or discouragement um, and darkness yes i think for her she uh, Father Paul Murray wrote some beautiful things about her uh, to summarize them in a little book so called I Love Jesus in the Night. It's a beautiful little, tiny little book. And he talks about standing there in uh, St. Peter's Square and her 
picture being unveiled there, the big tapestry of her picture being unveiled there when she was canonised. And he said, it just hit me in a moment um, what, you know, the heart of her life. And he said, she was completely empty of self, completely empty of self and opened out to the whole world. Uh, and that, and and so he had all this whole reflection about what her darkness was. And, and ultimately it's participating in Christ's love for others, right? So she's participating in the cross. She's feeling the abandonment of Christ on the cross. Everywhere you go, there's a little I thirst written yeah. next to the cross, you know, just handwritten on a piece of paper generally. Um, but she experienced that thirst of Christ for souls. She experienced the abandonment. And so then God could shine through her even though she's feeling forsaken. Um, in the similar way that Christ's passion, you know, he's not feeling great right there, but he's saving the world. The other thing I love um, about modern the modern states is obviously video. And I think if you want to see an example of love and chaste love, um, watch videos of John Paul II meeting Mother Teresa. Too beautiful. It's mm-hmm. just like... I don't think I've seen that. Oh, oh, that's that's really great. And like they, they do it lots of time, yeah. but it's just like you just see two saints meeting yeah. And you're just there going, and the holiness of both of them just exudes. Um, but just the that they were they 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 had this sort of real bond between the two of them on earth, and now the fact that they're both interceding for us in heaven, I think is what yeah, it's great. So, what what does it mean for us? What does it mean for university students? We've we've spent twenty twenty five minutes talking about all of these great saints throughout history. Um, how do, how do, where does the rubber hit the road now for a university student on campus in Melbourne in 2022? Well, the, to come back to the point of why, why we have the saints really is, is a question behind all of this. And they're given to us to be companions. It's about belonging to the church. We belong to something that's beyond just who's sitting in the pews, but those who are in heaven interceding for us and as the example of their lives is for us. But if... If we think that they're, you know, the models in the statues or the icons or the, the beautiful paintings from centuries ago, then we can put them, keep them, keep them up on that pedestal, and then we can intercede. We can get them to intercede for us because they can reach God in a way that we can't. Whereas, really, they're given to us to be our companions because they're close to God in a way that we are not yet. And that companionship is to draw us to become that holy, to draw us to come closer to Christ by their friendship and by their intercession and by the example that they give us. So if, if we're not getting drawn closer to heaven through our relationship with the saints, um, then there's something missing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great concept of having friends. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just to have friends who are saints, read their stuff, you know, lean on them, uh, sort of surround ourselves with the type of people you want to be because you become like your friends. So I think that's a great little concept. Yeah, and just like I would say, Sister Mary Helen, I'm going into, I'm, I've got a paper due or I, I'm, I'm going into an important interview or meeting or whatever, could you say a prayer for me? I can do that with the saints. Yes. Like there's just something really beautiful Absolutely. about the fact that these guys are in heaven and that they're there for us and we can seek their intercession. And again, that thing of, okay, and I know you were particularly good with this virtue yes. or I know that you were, you were marked in your life by charity. So I'm like, 
I'm going to ask you in particular for yeah, this virtue yeah. in my own life. Like, Or you face this particular struggle that I'm facing yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember having that question when I was thinking about saints and how do you form a friendship with a saint? Even how you form a friendship with the Lord, really. You know, how do you form friendships with people you're not seeing and touching? And uh, and I, I've found entrusting specific things, like you're just saying, to specific saints you do form that friendship with them i mean my mom and saint anthony of padua are like that i mean it's ridiculous it's so ridiculous um she has a great relationship with him but uh you know for me like saint dominic clearly i'm trusting him with things uh, and you you have a friendship there i've got a very good friend whose name is anthony and he has a great devotion to saint anthony and uh whenever i lose something which happens very regularly yes um, I will call him and ask him to ask St. Anthony to find it. That's it. Every time. <laughs> a friend of a friend. It's amazing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I, th- I think that is, and this, there has been this great history throughout our church of having patrons. Like we, um, as you have friends, like you should then start to get closer friends. Yes. And don't be afraid to sort of, grow in in love and devotion for one or two saints like we venerate all of the saints but there should be one or two that do actually speak to your heart a little bit more deeply obviously reading the lives of the saints is a is a great way of doing that can i throw a spanner oh oh here we go a spanner. just because i learned through experience I'll duck and weave and yeah yeah <laughs> here's a spanner make friends with saints read their things wonderful but when the church canonizes a saint does not canonize everything they ever wrote or said or did or their favorite paint colors or um, the way that they like the books organized on the shelf or no they just infallibly saying the person is in heaven um, and only jesus and mary got it right completely right and i think that's healthy to have in the back of our minds so that we don't some things saints wrote we're just clear wrong yeah. And and that's okay. Well, we're based very much in the time and yeah. the awareness of things that they had at that moment. Yeah. So, you know, you're reading whatever and it just doesn't apply to you at this time or that's you don't have to do it that way or it might actually be wrong and that's okay. Saints got things wrong and that's okay. Yeah. Like we I get think that's a handy spanner to have in our toolkit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is the You Disciple podcast. For more information on what's happening on a campus near you, go to udisciple.melbournecatholic.org. Well, that's it. As, as people head back to campus this week, um, as maybe you're heading into uh, a period of time that's going to be a little bit more stressful, a little bit more intense, maybe seek out the intercession of the saints just a little bit this week. Um, and in the weeks ahead. Yeah, turn your ordinary into extraordinary. And if no one else, St. Thomas Aquinas, the patron saint of students. So probably a good one for people as they're preparing for exams. Oh, I should put up that prayer. I'll put the prayer on the website. If, if you don't have a favourite, find one. Or I'll find a little close-knit group of friends who can be your favourites, even if you don't have one. Like That's it. Yeah, I have many. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, check out the website to find out lots there's lots of stuff going on over the next few weeks. Yeah, uh, lots of fun. We've events. planned fun for you yeah. while your study is going. Men's and women's events, but also, yeah, as things are opening up, uh, once again, it's nice to see people around. It is getting cold, though. Melbourne winter 
winter winter is upon us, I think. So stay warm. Stay Look. close to the fireplace. And yeah. Stay close to the saints. God bless. Amen. Whether you've been listening to us on the tram, in the library, or on your way to class, thanks for listening to this week's You Disciple podcast. Share, like, and subscribe, and we hope to see you on and around campus. The Disciple Podcast is a production of the Catholic Archdiocese of Melbourne.